Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the ISV Society podcast. I'm so excited you're here, and I'm so excited for my guest this week. We have an award-winning keynote presenter, winery consultant, author, leader, as well as president of ITA. Please and very welcome, excited to chat with Eugenie Whitehouse. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Amy. I'm excited to be here. Me too. And I, I will let the audience know we did have a chat a couple of weeks ago to kind of talk about what we were going to share today, get a little backstories on each of us. And I was just so impressed. So it was just so great to hear your story. It was so great to hear about all the things you've done, your accolades, uh, someone to look up to for sure. I, I just loved everything that you chatted about. So before we get started into what we really are here to discuss today, which is a book that you wrote, which I'm very excited to share about how to make a boring subject interesting in 52 ways. So that's what we'll be diving into. But first, we'd like to just let the audience get to know you and share a little bit about you and your backstory and things like that. So yeah, take it away. Well, I'm a CPA. I started in accounting with Deloitte back in the dark ages when we had ledger sheets to do our work. <laughs> um, I majored in accounting at UNC Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I decided in seventh grade I wanted to be an accountant because my dad sold tax books to uh, for CCH and sold things to accountants. And that was, in his opinion, the best thing you could do. And when I, in seventh grade, went to my math teacher and said, I really like math. What can I do for a living? She said, you can either be a teacher or a CPA. And I said, which one makes the most money? And she said, CPA. So I went, okay, that's it. And my dad thinks they're cool. So that sounds like a good path. And then I kind of focused on everything that I could do from that point forward to get to be a partner in a CPA firm. I mean, I had to get scholarships to go to the school I wanted to go to and all kinds of stuff. And so I was just on this really focused heads down path, which lasted for 15 years. And I was just, you know, doing the drill and working all the hours. And I started with Deloitte in tax. And so I had a tax career and did that. But I also majored in, I majored in accounting, but I minored in computer programming. So I had taken a bunch of programming classes and I was really more fascinated by that. I kind of drew my curiosity more. So when I came out and started working with um, Deloitte, anything that came along that was techie, I would get involved in. I wrote a basic program for amortization schedules and all kinds of nerdy things like that. But I already understood the spreadsheet environment because I had done programming. So I always gravitated towards high tech. So 15 years go by and I start with Deloitte and then I move into corporate tax. And then I ended up actually running a, my own firm around Peachtree Software Consulting. So I'd go out with small businesses and help them. And then I grew my own firm and then I was doing everything. I had all these clients and I was doing all the different stuff and working so much. And I realized I couldn't handle it. So I went to this firm and said, I have this practice. I'm doing this stuff. I have a tax background. Let's combine forces and I'll bring this work over to you. And they said, great. So I started working with them and made it to partner because I brought in a lot of work and I was still doing a lot of tax work and doing this so software stuff during the day. And it was just, I was working all the time. And so I made partner and the day I made partner, I went home and just like woke up in the middle of the night and went, this is not what I want to do. This is, I'm doing the wrong thing. And I'm going to now committing to do this for the rest of my life. And I'm going to probably die in my chair. So I went in and resigned the next day and joined a high tech company as an instructor. 
And that's really when I thought this is, you know, far more up my alley than what I was doing. And then I found my way. I did a PeopleSoft implementation and then I joined Navision Software to build their CPA Alliance programs. And they had just come into the U.S. from Denmark. I did my first official presentation and I used humor to break down the barriers with this hostile audience that I had. And I saw how, first of all, it made me relax when people laughed and they weren't mm -hmm. laughing at me. So that felt pretty good. They were laughing at something <laughs> I was pointing them to. And the focus went off me, which was one thing. But I saw the barrier between me and that audience disappear. They were now on my team because I made them laugh. And so when I finished that presentation... I decided I needed to get good at speaking. So I went in search of stand-up comedy training, which I took, and that changed everything for me as a speaker. And then I sort of gravitated towards speaking events and started doing more and more of that, got all kinds of training, and then went from the vision to the speaker circuit, then to ACPAC, which is was mid-market ERP, which is now Sage 300, I believe. And then Sage acquired ACPAC, and they moved me from Atlanta, which you can tell I am not from... California. They moved me from Atlanta to California. And um, I was in charge of the ACPAC product. I was in product management. And then eventually I left Sage already in California and started working with wineries out here. And I've been doing that since 2007 for 16 years, part time, oh, wow. only in an advisory capacity. So I used up the whole time talking about my career path. So so you might want to fast forward to that part when I'm talking about all that stuff, but but all of those pieces fit together in the things that I get to do now, and I'm extremely grateful for that opportunity. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking the whole story that you just shared will kind of play into what we're talking about today, which is your book, because I'm sure, obviously, all of these experiences that you've had, all of these job changes, career changes, everything you've been learning, how you've been evolving kind of is why you have this book, I'm hoping, um, and and love to hear why you wrote the book, how to make a boring subject inter interesting, that backstory, because, you know, taking on a book after all the stuff that you just said that you've been doing, I don't even know how you fit it in to even do so. <laughs> well, well, first of all, the thing that really made the biggest difference in my speaking career was a book that I found in Atlanta. After I gave that first speech, I went to the library, turned to the bookstore and looked for a book that I could read about presentations. And I found this book on the shelf called Even a Geek Can Speak. And I grabbed the book and it was perfect. It had cute little cartoon drawings and I read it. And it was exactly what I needed. It talked about how to structure your material, what to do. And it even mentioned the stand-up comedy trainer that I had just been working with. So I was like, this is amazing. He's mentioning this guy and I just graduated from the class. And then I turned to the back and found out that the author was an attorney in Atlanta who had written the book. And I called him up and said, I read your book. I want to meet you. And he said, okay. That's so I cool. went and had lunch with him and I walked into the lunch and I said, I'm going to write the sequel to your book and it's going to be called Even a Nerd Can Be Heard. And he said, go ahead and do that. And so that was in like 2000. And I had decided at that point I was going to write this book, Nerd Communication, because that was what I felt was the biggest challenge accountants had mm -hmm. to being recognized as value providers. And then after working in tech, so that was in 2000. So it took me nine years to write the book. After I said, I'm going to write the book, I wrote page one over and over again, 10,000 times. and could never get to page two, but I knew it was nerdy communication. And after working in high tech companies, we have the same challenge there too. We're talking about technical concepts that nobody can understand. So I really wanted to make it better for people. So, I mean, that's where it came from. And in 2009, I met a person who had self-published her own book. 
And she was just a normal human like me. I thought, well, she's not, you know, superwoman. She doesn't have magical powers. And if she can figure it out, then I can do it too. And she helped me figure out how to get a self-publishing thing set up and to get an editor and do all this stuff. And she also helped me think about how to structure it. And that, once I met her and once she helped me figure out how to organize what I wanted to say, I wrote the book in six weeks after waiting almost 10 years. Oh, wow. But it takes some uh, for us to believe in our ability, we have to meet somebody else who has already been there. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge thing. So that's one of the reasons that I have this sort of basset hound concept that I use for my inner being, my true self, because I'm just a dumb old basset hound. If I can write a book, y'all can too. I mean, that's really my message. I'm not anything special. I'm slobbery, long-eared, you know, from the South. And when I embrace that, and accepted that that's who I was and didn't try to be somebody else, things started to change. So I think yes. we spend a lot of time trying to fake it with people and act like we're the experts and convince people of our credibility and our value. And if we just accept, well, it's me and I'm, you know, I'm just me, but I know some things or I can share some things that might help you not make the same dumb mistakes that I made. Exactly. And that's a real opportunity for all of us as professionals. Yes, I totally agree. And I feel like we could all use help with presentation skills, no matter what genre, where, where, we're, where we're speaking, who we're speaking to, what we're speaking about. And we all, but we all in our roles, especially in tech company, most of us are presenting. Most of us are doing, you know, speaking in front, even if doing quick videos on LinkedIn, it's all the same thing. Like you just have to know the best ways to present. And I love the fact that you use humor and I think humor is a great way. And if, if we can use more humor in our lives, think of how great that would be. <laughs> so right. it makes everything. And really when you're talking about subjects that tend to be scary, I mean, both accounting and technology, when mm -hmm. you're speaking to a normal human, who's not living and breathing those subjects, the first thing you have to overcome is the fear that they have. Half their brain is going, oh my gosh, they're going to find out that I'm stupid or I don't know this or I don't understand what they're talking about. And I used to go out to clients, these small business clients. I would go clients all over Atlanta and I would walk in and they would immediately put their hands up like I was going to arrest them and say, I'm not an accountant. They were just terrified that I was going to judge them for their lack of you know, debit and credit knowledge. <laughs> so when I could make them laugh, that was something that I would try to do. Then I would, I would break the tension for them and mm -hmm. then they could learn from it. But when I've got a big fear wall up, I can't get through that wall to the person on the other side. Yeah, totally makes sense. I love that. So uh, in the book, you mentioned there's 52 ways. Why that number? How did you come up with that number? <laughs> well, first of all, it's one of my tips in the book. Okay. When you use a number like that, it's, it's attractive to people because they know what they're in for. So it wasn't 10,572 ways that you had to wade through. It's only 52, but that's the number of weeks in a year. So I like that number. Nice. It's a manageable number. It was give me enough meat to give people enough tips to help them, but it wouldn't be overwhelming for somebody to read. Perfect, and, yes. and the title, I told you when I when I met the author of the other book, that it was supposed to be Even a Nerd Can Be Heard was going to be the title. Yes. And when I talked to my friend who has had a marketing background, she said, do you think people are going to be walking around saying, I'm a nerd, how do I get heard? <laughs> I said, well, most of us nerdy folks don't know that we're nerdy, so probably not. She said, I think you should say what it's about first and then make the subtitle, 
the even a nerd part and so that's how we structured it because you know it's not me because notice the book is how to make a boring subject so it's not me that's boring right it's this boring accounting thing or a boring technology thing that i have to talk about and so we can take that topic and bring our own skills to bear on it to make it not boring when we present it yes and i feel like we even no matter what the topic is if we can make it not boring because we are so in in this technology space where you're so presentation heavy, PowerPoint heavy, and it's oh, so yeah. important to try and make it not boring. And I, I preach that all the time to the ISV society members when we do our joint marketing initiatives, like less PowerPoints, best, less, more white space, the better, more talking, you know, mm-hmm. more talking about conversations, like making it interactive, the better. So yeah, um, of those 52 a- ways, is there like yeah. pick, what's your top five? That you could share well one five. of the big yeah one of the big ones for the tax space is avoiding jargon i mean i can't tell you how many times i remember i wrote an article one time when i was at the vision and i, I used the word var and i had var in there like 50 times and okay. i had somebody write me an email what is a what? bar and I thought, <laughs> oh god you know or you know we use terminology and abbreviations and jargon and we use acronyms over and over again and those two in combination mm-hmm. and jargon is stuff like you know, standard terminology that we use. I mean, even things like AP that we say and AR yes. are terms that we assume everybody knows and they don't. I was just on a call with a bunch of accountants and we were talking about CAS practices. And the poor human who didn't know what we were talking about finally said, what's CAS? And, I, and we all kind of went, well, he's out of the loop. But I mean, if you're not hanging around in the accounting space True. all the time, and CAS, by the way, is client accounting services, but it could also be client accounting and advisory services or client advisory services, depending on which form of CAS you want to be talking about. So it's not standard terminology, but it was really interesting because we immediately went, well, that guy doesn't know the space because it was the CAS focused thing we were talking yeah. about. But that's the problem with vocabulary and acronyms and jargon that we exclude people by using that that alien sort of terminology and vocabulary. It's one of the things I experienced when I moved from Redneckville, Atlanta to California to start working in the wine industry. Because I went to my first wine tasting because I wanted to try to, you know, I had to do some quality assurance. And I also needed to, yeah, but I also needed to learn what they're doing. You know, I need to go to my first winery. So I go to this first winery and the winemaker used a bunch of jargon like in terminology that I had no clue about, like malactic fermentation. And talked about the legs on the wine and the and the nose. I'm like, I don't want a nose in my glass. And I don't want any legs in here either. And it has this, you know, and then they talk about Sauvignon Blanc has smells like cat pee. And you're, you're sitting there going, I'm not drinking this stuff. And, but I but it immediately hit me. I mean, I had like this visceral, visceral experience that. That is exactly what it feels like when I'm talking to somebody who's not an accountant. When I start talking about the FASB this or the Section 179 that, we're in the same thing from the technology mm-hmm. space. When you start using terminology, you know, AI and the RPAs and the this and the that and the used to be B-tree that we talked about in my day that was always the problem. And, you know, and, and what's the, is there an open um, API and all kinds of technology yes. in both spaces, we're doing this and alienating that potential buyer from us. And part of what motivated me to write a book is that I felt like 
So I was this tax person for all these years and I was never really very good at it. I always felt like I was struggling to be average. And that was one of the reasons that I went, I'm going to be average all my life and kill myself trying to be better. And I'm not, I'm just not wired somehow like everybody else. But the people who are wired are not communicating how great they are. And it's the same thing for technology. There's amazing technical skill and knowledge behind this poor communication. And I was really motivated to help those people get the recognition they deserve. So that was a huge motivator for the book because I realized that, that you know, through my own training, I've gotten better at it. But these people who were so good in the back office are not getting where they deserve to be because they can't communicate. So I really wanted to make a difference for those people. Um, and that's what motivated me to get on stages. I never wanted to be a speaker. But I wanted to make it better for both our the accounting and tech communities and our clients because they need us to mm -hmm. make this stuff easier and more relevant for them. And so that's what made me go, well, I got to do this. And if I'm going to do it, I need to figure out how to be better at it. And I'm still trying to figure that out, by the way. <laughs> still working on that. Um, but it's um, it's a huge opportunity for us if we can break down those those language barriers for our clients. Yes, totally agree. And Microsoft, uh, you know, I've been in the Microsoft, soft space a very long time and they as you know love their acronyms and jargon and so I think we all get caught up in it just thinking oh everybody knows what VAR like you said ISV and VAR means and and we just because we're just so used to hearing it but it's good to like take a step back and, and realize who our audience is who we're presenting to who we're speaking to to make sure that either a they do know it or b they maybe they don't know it and to make sure that we explain ourselves better in that capacity. So one of the other things that I think is really important, especially in the tech space, is that you put yourself in their shoes. Much of what we do as speakers, presenters, salespeople, demo experts, professional sales teams, is spend a bunch of time trying to convince the audience or the buyer, potential buyer, how smart we are. Mm -hmm. Right? We give them all the logos. Look at all the great people that have bought our software. Look at this. Look at how fabulous. When what we should do is make the audience person feel smarter. And if we think about what is this person really struggling with, or even if we ask them before we dive into our presentation, that's when we're going to look smarter. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge shift for much of us with the technical background. Much of what we do is about convincing everybody how smart we are. And again, if that's what I'm trying to do with a Basset Hound, I'm failing because I'm not, you know, I'm here I am. I'm a Basset Hound. I'm going to make you laugh with my Basset Hound. Do you think that's about convincing you how smart I am? It's about even, I may be, who I am, but I have some ideas for you. And I want you to understand how smart you are as an audience person um, yes. or as a potential customer. And so when we do that, it shifts. It takes the focus off of us, first of all, but it also makes us resonate with that person so that they're more likely to buy or to work with us or to do what is, whatever it is that we say. So getting the focus off of how smart and wonderful our company is, our product is, and shifting instead to these are things that that you might be struggling with or tell us what you're struggling with. And yeah. Let me show you how to help instead of diving into the spiel that we have. And again, it's really interesting when you come to the wine industry for a tasting. There are people who are trained presenters who will be behind the bar and they will go through their spiel before they find out what I want to drink. And if they do that, I will be completely turned off because they'll try to sell me a Chardonnay when I want a cab. Mm -hmm. and it's, we do the same thing in software. We start our spiel about these are all the great things we do when the, the customer may not care at all about those five things. And they're looking for something else that you aren't even going to show them. 
So it's flipping the focus and putting yourself in the shoes of that person on the other side of the room that I think yes. makes a big difference. I think that makes a huge difference. Even with your emails and your content, it's all a lot of the times we focus on our benefits, our features, what we offer, yeah. our accolades, our, you know, and it's taking a step back. And, yeah. So, I, yeah, I totally agree and with also, you on all of that. <laughs> yeah. And also starting off with, I've been doing this for X number of years. Well, that proves A, that I'm old. And B, that I've been putting <laughs> years off on my wall like I'm in prison, right? I don't care about that. Tell me, I've done whatever it is you need, or I've been working with wineries, and I understand I've seen a lot of common things, and maybe I can help you with your thing or something like that. But getting off this, how long we've been doing it, especially when you've been doing it as long as I've been doing yes. it, we want to kind of downplay that. Yeah, I can tell. Especially when I say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a shift. It really is a. Tell me about you, and then. Let me figure it out, which makes it harder for us to do a demo for doing tech stuff. But mm -hmm. you know, a five minute completely relevant demo beats an hour long thing that's completely disconnected from what I care about every time. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Was that number two, by the way? I don't I think I did I did two or three all crammed into <laughs> okay. one with the target and the acronyms. All <laughs> right. One count was a count on numbers, which is what I did about the title of the book. Okay. And then um, one of the things that um, one of the things that I struggle with is there's something that you know that is a negative about your product. There's some hole or there's something and you're afraid they're going to ask you to show that weakness in your particular application. We've all had it. There's something. Don't ask me about this because we're not as strong in that or we're not as strong in that thing. Or maybe it's inventory, multi-location, inventory management or one of those things that we look for in the wine industry. And one of the things that I do is to take the power away from that thing. I start with that. So you basically take the, the bad photo that they got on you out of the envelope and expose it to the world. And then that thing has no power. Right. So it's one of the things you can do if there's a negative. And for me, I'm a Southerner, right? So I'm going to, I know y'all might think I'm a, you know, out, not knowledgeable in the wine industry. So I harness that and, and play off of it rather than letting it be something they can use against me in the future. So taking that thing that you feel like is a disadvantage or, a, you know, a problem and really exposing it so that it's not something that they then expose in, with power. So taking that power away by embracing the thing that you're worried about. And for me, I mean, I do training for wineries and I moved out here in, to California in 2004 and started working with wineries in 07 and I had this accent. I mean, I grew up, I didn't grow up drinking it, but I drank Franzia in a box. <laughs> I wasn't baby fed it or anything, but, um, and to come into high, you know, highfalutin cab country with that kind of experience is terrifying. And so I started doing training classes. Again, imagine this, you know, Southerner who doesn't know the wine industry is teaching accounting to wineries. And so I decided to embrace that. And so I created a, a fake winery called Le Cou Rouge which is a Southern winery and Le Cou Rouge translates to redneck in French. So I made fun of my own heritage and teach the training through this family. And there's a junior and junior senior and the whole family of <laughs> people from the South that are in this winery. And so I, I took that thing that could be perceived as negative and said, yeah, I might be from the South, but I'm going to work off of that and make you laugh, but I'm also going to teach you stuff while you're laughing at it. And so it gave me permission to be who I am. And that's a bunch of, what I do is to do that, to make people comfortable with the subject matter, but also 
to give me permission to be who I am mm -hmm. when I'm sharing it. Right. I love that. Yeah. Obviously we all feel like we have to kind of almost, you know, put ourselves on a pedestal, right. And make it seem like, okay, I have all this experience, this background, like, why, this is why I'm here. Like almost have to prove themselves. Right. And you're, you're saying, take that all, strip that all down and just like be yourself. And, and yes, you, we know that, you know, everything. So there's no reason to prove it. And, and I love that. And yeah. I love how you mentioned, you know, take that negative and make it, get it out, get it out in the open now, get it off the table. Then you have to worry about it. The rest of the presentation, it kind of takes the ease and the edge off. And it just, it shows that you are willing to share everything basically. Yeah, exactly right. Um, another tip. I don't know. Do you want me to keep tipping or do you want me to stop? Okay. You can do one more. Let's do one more tip. Cause this is good. <laughs> so I think let people get hands-on with the information is a really important one you know we can talk about how cool this is and that but if you can give somebody a demo they can mess with or something they can play with or have them come up and say here enter this invoice or whatever it is the more relevant that content becomes and one of my goals in teaching is to always try to get into something that's hands-on as quickly as possible so when i'm doing training on accounting we have case studies i have them do group breakouts if we're doing it online i have them answer questions in the chat whatever we can do. And if we're doing a demo, I mean, I'd stop and say, you know, ask them some question like, what's the biggest thing that you hate to do in software and have them type it in or get input like that. So mm -hmm. it makes the engagement continue to happen. So I think that's one of the biggest tips. And I try to do that if I'm doing a keynote or whatever, I'm trying to build rapport with that audience. And especially with software demos where you've got technical stuff to cover, if you can give them something to play with or some kind of an interaction to have, it'll make things go a lot more smoothly. And also do an interesting demo company. Don't do the boring same one. Like I was with Navision, which is now Microsoft Dynamics Nav. And every demo was Kronos, the bike maker. And I think they're still using Kronos, the bike maker from the Danish folks. And Kronos is like the, I can't, the currency I should know in Denmark because I've been there with Navision, but Make it something interesting. If I'm doing a winery thing, like I use funny names and I build in some funny examples mm -hmm. so that it enlivens because you, you flash up a name like Le Courage in class and people are going, that's pretty funny. And they read the story. And then again, I've got them connecting beyond just whatever the, the technical feature is that I'm trying to show. Yeah. So make that content stand out and different and unique for the people that you can present to, if at all possible. Right, because everybody assumes, yeah make your demos come alive. Like we all can, I've, I've seen many, many boring demos. So if you can make your demos uh -huh. come alive, get the audience to interact. That's so important. I also yeah. think if you're doing those one-on-one -on -one demos, like really do your research on that company and put in their information. Like you said, don't use generic information. If this customer is selling baby toys and you're showing, uh, uh, you know, what SD cards and computers and yeah. that, that how yeah. there's so much a huge disconnect but if you have yeah. baby bottles and baby toys wow now you're really taking them in and taking them on a journey and showing them how you can help them because you've actually done your research on this customer that you're doing a demo for like i for and it's just so important and if you can't do that if you can't make it specific to them if you need to have a generic one make it specific to you like i used to do a demo of all redneck products like you could buy redneck teeth online <laughs> you could buy and i would say this is stuff for halloween and i would sell you know like different things so make it somehow funny and self-deprecating 
mm-hmm. something about what you do. And, you know, me being in California, all I need is grits and I'm going to have 15 different kinds of grits <laughs> that I would buy and how to do it. You know, so that kind of stuff so that it brings out some aspect of your personality. If you can't connect it to them, create your own demo that you can then work off of when you're having that conversation. And it'll be a lot more interesting for everybody. Definitely. So I, I love everything you said today. And I think you need to come on my monthly mastermind meeting and give them all of my ISVs the same kind of content that they need to hear, because a lot of them need this. Uh, need to hear it. And maybe if they hear it from others besides me, it will make more of an impact. So we'll have to put something on <laughs> I'd books. love to do that. <laughs> anytime, Amy, anytime. Well, I'd just like to say thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. If anybody wants to read the book, I'm going to include all this information in the show notes as well as your TED Talk because I, I was watching it and it's just so powerful and you just have such a lot of great content. Everybody can learn from you. I think we could all do better at presenting and getting our point across in so many different ways. So I truly do appreciate you being here and being my guest this week. It is an absolute pleasure, Amy, anytime. And I hope your your watchers, listeners, observers go forth and make better connections and do great work. Yes. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Stay tuned for next week. Hey, everyone, you just listened to another episode of the ISV Society podcast. What did you think? Please feel free to share, comment, like, subscribe. would love to you to spread the love of this amazing podcast. And if you'd like to be a guest, let me know. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in.